0: Welcome to Scientific American Science Talk, posted on February 25th, 2016. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... People say,
1: oh, there's a water shortage. Well, another way to say that is that energy is too expensive, because converting this thing we have called ocean into clean water anywhere, that's all a matter of pay for the desalination, and pay for the pumping.
0: That's Bill Gates. On February 22nd, Scientific American energy and environment reporter David Biello met with Gates here in New York City. Gates was in town to publicize his foundation's annual letter. This year's edition focuses in part on coming up with ways to tackle carbon emissions while at the same time making necessary energy available to ever more of the globe's growing population. Now, the conversation does get a little bit jargony at times, so let me tell you a few things to look out for. When you hear Dave and Bill Gates talk about CCS, that's carbon capture and storage. TerraPower is a nuclear reactor design company. TerraPower also refers to a class of nuclear fast reactors that they are designing. You'll also hear the expression peakers. Peakers are power plants usually using natural gas that generally run only when there's a high demand, a peak demand for electricity. Late in the conversation, you'll hear a reference to the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene refers to this geological time period that we're all living in, and it means that it's been human-influenced. It's anthropogenic, Uh, the fact that humans have... Altered the very atmosphere, geology, hydrology, and other earth systems that we all are living in. And finally, you're going to hear them talk about the equation. The equation is something that Gates discusses in the letter. It's an equation that he came up with. And basically all it is, is P sec equals carbon dioxide. Okay. P sec is P times S times E times C. And again, that equals carbon dioxide, 36 billion tons of which we put into the atmosphere last year, we being everybody on the planet. P times S times E times C. P is the number of people on the planet. S is the services per person. E is the energy per service. And C is the carbon per unit energy. So, P times S times E times C last year equaled 36 billion tons of carbon dioxide. And the objective is to get CO2 down to zero. So each of those terms on the left side of the equation is a candidate for going to zero in order to get CO2 on the right side of the equation to go to zero. P, the number of people on the planet. Well, that ain't going to zero. That's getting bigger. S, the services per person. That's also growing. E, the energy per service, that's the basically the efficiency, that is actually getting better, but it's not going to zero. And finally, the carbon per unit energy. If you want to get the right side of the equation, the CO2 to zero, that's what you have to get to zero on the left side of the equation, the C, the carbon per unit energy. In other words, you can't burn fossil fuels. You can't burn substances with carbon in them. And the only way around that is alternative energy, nuclear energy, wind energy, solar energy. So now you have all that you need to know to listen to the conversation between David Biello and Bill Gates.
2: What do you mean by uh, energy miracle? Miracle is a, a tough term for scientific evidence.
1: Yeah, I may have used that term. People may have a stronger definition of that term than I do. I mean, I consider the... Computer on a chip a miracle the internet's a miracle. the cell phone is a miracle. so you know big scientific advances, you know unanticipated broad impact, they're coming and coming at a, a faster rate than ever and if we can get something that's measurably less expensive than hydrocarbons uh, completely clean and providing the same reliability, which is a very key constraint for energy systems Mm -hmm. that I will consider a miracle. And I, you know, I predict that in the next 15 years, we have a high probability of achieving it. Not because any individual path, do I rate it say greater than 50%, but when you have about a dozen paths, uh, all of which at least to me appear to have better than 20% (laughs) chance, uh, uh, independently that if you get the r& d up uh, if you do things on the demand side that in- include great things we've done like production tax credit investment tax credit renewable p- port stand- portfolio standard many many tens of billions uh, of money just in the us alone so we you know we we pushed the demand side and now with the commitment to raise r d and 2016 being the first year that uh, that actually did get appropriated, then you're you're very much tilting the odds to to have a very positive surprise.
2: So we've we've heard about uh, uh, your efforts in uh, in fission and the like, but um, one of the things that stood out in the letter was uh, you mentioning uh, solar fuels and uh, what we call at Siam reverse combustion. Um, why does that stand out to you as a as a as a possibility? The well, energetics don't seem so so great.
1: Well, no, the photons have energy.
2: Uh, well, yeah, that's for sure.
1: Lots of energy, <laughs> and you know, biological photosynthesis, you know, which is this miraculous, incredible thing that we're still. Uh, there was this great book was it, called "Eating the Sun," talked about current understanding, but actually, since that book came out, we understand it more. And actually in 10 years, we may really understand that, you know, that there's quantum effects in terms of how all that stuff gets, gets the, the chemical wind that it gets. So it, nature shows that can be done. The reason I like that one in particular, well, partly I like, uh, Professor Nate Lewis who works on that stuff. And he, you know, showed me that, you know, he's within a factor of a (laughs) hundred, which is, you know, a long, long ways, but, you know, they can make tiny, tiny, amounts, it doesn't guarantee that they can get there, Uh, but it's certainly, you know, if you want an example of something I think should get double or triple, uh, I can easily say triple the amount of R&D it gets today, I'd say that's it. Not just the one lab, but, you know, several labs taking hopefully slightly different and, and competitive approaches. The beauty of it, though, is it reminds people that hydrocarbon, liquid hydrocarbons, you know, say gasoline, is really a magic energy carrier. You put it in a steel tank, it sits there for arbitrary periods of time. You put it in a pipe, it goes down the pipe, it doesn't mess up the, the pipe at all. It, it's the infrastructure that we have today. It's got a density that's still an order of magnitude better than the best battery that we can make. So, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, whenever we talk about batteries, we always talk about their energy rating and their power rating. Mm-hmm. But the energy rating of gasoline tanks, you know, is just build a bigger bigger tank and you get the energy rating up. <laughs> just like a natural gas peaker, right. uh, you know, it, natural gas isn't as easy as the liquid stuff to store, but we can store it pretty darn well <laughs> either in liquid or, or, or gaseous form. And so that's why when you look at those battery charts... Natural gas peakers, if you don't have a carbon constraint, they're really kind of miraculous. Yes, you have to spend a little bit of capital to get your power rating, but to get your energy, your per, you know, marginal unit of additional energy, those things are really, really cheap. And only sort of, you know, of compressed air or flow batteries were super, super, super successful can they even you know, be in the order of magnitude of that regime of of super super high amounts of energy. Which when we talk about grid storage, where you say, okay, there's you know five days with no wind or sun and yet we're still not supposed to freeze people in their houses, you know, then you're you're gonna pick the technology that really, really can can deliver. And as people have simulated this stuff, the you know, unless there's an extremely high price on nat- uh, on CO2 mm-hmm. and natural gas CCS doesn't come along, mm-hmm. most battery technologies have a hard time playing a, a grid role, which is different than saying a role in consumer transport mm-hmm. where another factor of two or three probably would get
2: you into the, main, the mainstream uh, product profile. So, didn't the energy miracle already happen with the with the fracking revolution? And if we just get CCS, then we're then we're done. Well, CCS is is
1: hard to do. The one thing you can never say about CCS is it won't make energy cheaper than it is today. And remember that my initial entry into the energy problem isn't so much climate, although I I think that's super and super important and absolutely. Uh, it up there equal but i start out with let's make energy cheaper Mm -hmm. because when i say i want more fertilizer for africa i want more light at night i want vaccines to stay cold Mm -hmm. for africa that's all about the price of energy Mm -hmm. you know people say oh there's a water shortage well another way to say that is that energy is too expensive Mm -hmm. because converting this thing we have called ocean into clean water anywhere, that's all a matter of pay for the desalination and pay for the pumping. Mm -hmm. You know, they're Mm -hmm. actually, so in a certain sense, there isn't a water shortage. It's just the price of water given a certain price of energy means that doing agriculture in the Middle East and Northern China is becoming increasingly uneconomic. Mm -hmm. You know, that, of course, the government has to decide, okay, what, what are you doing relative to the the farming and the income that that have come out of those areas or even food food security uh, for some countries. So, yes, fracking is an incredible thing. You know, it's some mix of government R&D, entrepreneurial attitude, and the digital revolution, of course, is, is playing a nice role in all these things. That ability to take seismic data or magnometer or all this different data and create an understanding of the various geological layers and therefore say, okay, I think, you know, this 20-foot deposit probably extends out to there and, you know, control all the things to to be very precise. Mm-hmm. The IT part of it is never to be underestimated. People kind of take that for granted, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the oil industry didn't have the the magic of, Data, big data, machine learning type stuff in the past, and mm-hmm. and and now they do. And the sensors that let you impute all that stuff get get dramatically uh, better as well. But you know, in CCS, I absolutely think we should pursue it. But how much? It's not a question. It does not make energy cheaper. Mm-hmm. You definitely to take the CO2 out of the flue gas. It's a separation problem. It has an energetic minimum. Mm -hmm. To liquefy it, it's got an energy minimum. (laughs) And to guarantee it stays in the ground, which probably only a governmental entity can take on that multi century liability that they're going to be around and ensure the quality of that. So you have to have the right regulation. You have to find the right geological structures. And then you have to understand what the capital and energetic costs are for CCS. And it is fair to say that It's if you'd asked 20 or 30 years ago, will we be further along in understanding that? You'd have to be very disappointed at what the US has done, what everyone,
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: all the the countries, you know, somebody should have done a large scale CCS project, both with a high percentage recovery against coal and with a high percentage recovery against natural gas. Understanding is it 70% premium or? 20 percent premium which are still you know, nobody's even done for high recovery rates even a 70 percent right thing it's not impossible that it would be like 20 percent which in which case as a backup plan to say okay at least the rich country should play that price premium mm-hmm. uh it's not clear what you would do with india at that point right india is a big enough energy consumer over the next 40 years that you can't give them a free pass. Right. Sub-Saharan Africa, who in the worst case over the next 40 years would be 4% of greenhouse gas emissions, yeah. you can give them pass and say, hey, any way you guys can get energy, mm-hmm. if it's natural gas, coal, gasoline, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want hey, you you are such a small percentage and your per person emissions are essentially zero, mm-hmm. putting aside uh, land use and livestock, which is a complicated area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even in you wouldn't get to our greenhouse gas level per person till the end of the century if they went full speed ahead with their, their current coal-based plans. But unless there's some sort of negative CO2 capture coming out of rich countries, right. uh, which, you know, the I we should not assume that such a thing becomes economic. There are mm-hmm. people, including some I fund, who are, are working on that. But the cost per ton recovered is in the hundred dollar plus regime mm-hmm. and you need to get down into the, you know, probably twenty to thirty dollar regime mm-hmm. before you can start to say, Okay, let's multiply that by thirty six billion and right. and start <laughs> <laughs> thinking about uh whether whether or not we should we Should do this or not, anyway. So, you know, India to me is kind of paradigmatic, uh, because the imperative in terms of women not breathing smoke and mm-hmm. people being able to have fertilizer, the imperatives of giving them what we take for granted mm-hmm. is that they will live A, f- far more uh, energy, probably five times more energy-intensive life, which would still leave them uh, less than a third of uh, U.S. energy-intensive, even somewhat mm-hmm. below European. You know, so they should use more energy. So in my equation, the yep. first three terms, P yep. times S times E, that probably is going to be about 1.5 times bigger than it is today. So in other words, you know, P is going to be about 1.2, S is going to be about 2, and and E, say we do super well on efficiency, it's mm-hmm. 0.5 because mm-hmm. there's a mix of things like lighting that you can do super well, and things like making mm-hmm. fertilizer where you're literally, uh, some, unless there's something we're not seeing, we're close to the, you know, taking atmospheric N2 and and making uh, fertilizer got an energy cost that actually those processes are so amazing they're within like 20 percent of what we think that that minimum looks like so so without changing c if c stays the same you go from 36 billion tons a year to 48 billion tons a year and where your assignment was to go from 36 billion tons a year to essentially zero right you know, now you can have a footnote and say, okay, poor countries are still allowed to emit, and the livestock land use era, it deserves its own footnote because, you know, short of something like artificial meat, which is another topic, we actually don't have, mostly we talk about energy, household, uh, factory, office, transport. Mm-hmm. We talk about energy usage. It's not the only... Net source of CO2, land use and livestock um, is a meaningful part of it. And when you're trying to get 36 billion down to zero, yeah. you know every five, ten percent, uh,
2: you know, is still a, a net warming fraction. Cars, coal, and cattle is how we put it at uh, Scientific American. The three C's.
1: Yeah, factories. I don't know if you saw this book. Uh, what's it called? Sustainable energy. David Mc. Makai, I don't know how to pronounce uh, yeah, his well, last name. He is, he is uh, sustainable energy without... Uh, without the hot air. Without the hot air. Then there's the... Oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. The renew, the materials book. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll,
2: I'll get it. We've, okay. Uh,
1: that yeah. Makai is the one who yeah. told me about, but it's not ah. Makai. It's some fellow professors of his at right, Cambridge. Right, it's
2: his colleagues at
1: Cambridge. Yes, okay. materials... <clears throat> uh, anyway, I'll, I'll think of it, it no. in a second. Matar- uh, but it, it just goes through steel, wood, yeah, plastic, paper know uh, and aluminum, and how much are we likely to need in the future, mm-hmm. and what sort of process improvements would reduce the energy intensity basically it 's a study of e mm-hmm. in the material space, and it says that if you uh, if you just look at it in a straightforward way you 've got a problem they they assume you can 't do something magic to see, so they 're just mm-hmm. kind of trying to look at at big changes in e. And they end up having to mm-hmm. say, okay, you've got to start reusing stuff. So that, it was great because it teaches you, like, a ref, when a refrigerator is, quote, uh, obsolete, mm-hmm. it's actually the plastic uh, <laughs> parts that have gotten messy and ugly and need to replace. The metal parts are not fatigued in any way. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
2: Uh, so it could be reused. Is basically what you're saying. Reused. And or one repurposed. thing, well, the
1: key point the book makes is that reuse is a stronger benefit energy wise than recycle.
2: Because
1: mm. in recycle, you, in the case of the metals, you molt it again. And so right. you're actually using almost as much energy, aluminum, say half as much, mm-hmm. but almost as much energy, actually it's less than half, but it's using a fair bit of energy, particularly in the case of steel, uh, which if you reuse it, and in the digital world, being able to label everything, who made Mm. it, what alloys does it have, you know, when was it made, Mm -hmm. and even maybe someday putting sensors in that will understand the degree of fatigue. And it's a big, the book is uh, uh, with both eyes open as part of the title, that both eyes open means you can't just take the metal manufacturing process and optimize that. Uh-huh. You have to look at the whole design and reuse as a societal uh, materials thing in order to get to these drastic reductions. But if you can play with C, mm-hmm. then, then <laughs> their whole thing doesn't matter. You, <laughs> it, it, honestly, which to me, that, that's why I, I, yeah. I, I don't minimize E the efficiency mm-hmm. energy efficiency thing at all it's mm-hmm. wonderful but I'm afraid that that you can only get there by C approaching yeah carbon the greenhouse gas per unit of energy has to approach zero
2: yeah so what go so what gives you hope besides uh, uh, reverse combustion and, and Nate Lewis what are some of the other pathways Well I have zero? a ton of money in a company called TerraPower which mm-hmm. is a fourth generation yeah. nuclear yeah
1: and to me what's cool about that you know, it may specifically be a solution. It's a great, great company. But the reason that we're so amazing is because of computer simulation.
2: Mm. You
1: know, we built a piece of software, which with today's supercomputers, shouldn't be too surprising, mm-hmm. where we sit and simulate the materials fatigue. Right. You know, and we can throw a tidal wave at it. We can throw a Richter 10 earthquake at it, mm-hmm. a volcano at it. Right. Uh, and we've tried out more Designs more nuclear powered designs mm-hmm. in this one company than in all of the history of mankind put together mm-hmm. because we we just happen to be out in front on oh, change the fuel rod this way, okay, mm-hmm. shall we have the core burn through linearly or shall we right. shuffle the things okay if we 're going to shuffle these rods around what 's the best shuffling pattern what 's the size? okay, how about the burn at the top, the burn at the bottom mm-hmm. it, and you know, the distortion over time as our steel yeah. it gets very high BPA. Embrittlement. The, yeah, the software is amazing. And then, you know, we do all these tests to make sure. In fact, you know, we have materials out of uh, the last U.S. fast reactor
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and FFT. And we, they had some neutron bombardment, but then mm-hmm. we put those in the <clears> Russian <throat> reactor 460 <throat> And we mm-hmm. do adi- additional irradiation. Then we sit there and look at these things uh, and see, okay, what's happened to the the crystal structure. Right. And so we we think we really understand how to make steel that doesn't... Do what Inconel did? Yeah, it doesn't expand mm-hmm. in this, this bad way.
2: So... Uh, the, um, the the knock on nuclear has always been Rickover's comment that the, the best reactors are always paper reactors, and I, we might update that to say the even better reactors are the computer reactors, and then everything changes when you get them an actual uh, working experience. How Do you, do you, do you anticipate uh, that you'll be able to overcome those challenges, particularly with regulators? It seems too slow. We wouldn't want to count on TerraPower. We need you know, twelve paths, five
1: companies per paths. We need at least sixty terapowers. I'll stick up for terapower mm-hmm. because the the assignment was uh inherent safety based on physics, mm-hmm. uh no humans, no buttons, no training, mm-hmm. um, superior economics, uh more than a factor of ten, waste reduction. Uh, strong proliferation, uh, anti-proliferation story, <laughs> uh, and that you don't run out of u- uranium. That is, you don't mm-hmm. peak your your fuel price. So if you, you say to the whole world, hey, let's all use these things, you don't uh, mess up your economics because mm-hmm. of a, a uranium shortage. And on paper, mm-hmm. they have met their assignment. And so the idea of Through a partnership with China or some other country, can Mm -hmm. you get the pilot plant built, get that built by, if everything went well by 2024, and then have six years of operating experience where by 2030, you would say to the world, hey, build as many of these as you want. Mm -hmm. You know, all new nuclear starts should be this, and nuclear starts as a percentage of new or replacement energy should be very high. That's the possibility there. Right. But. And we got to we got to get the pilot plant built. We got to get it approved. It has to work super well. The timeframes can't slip too dramatically. Uh, So it's it's a serious entrant. Mm -hmm. Um, And from my potentially biased point of view, in the nuclear fission category, Mm -hmm. I don't know many other entrants Mm -hmm. uh, that you look and say, okay, if you go from paper to real, Mm -hmm. then. This is a meaningful contribution to uh, cheap energy slash global warming as a a an incredible
2: problem. I could see that working for India, but it doesn't seem like that would necessarily work for many of the countries in in Africa that 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 you're worried about getting cheap energy to because they don't have the grid to go with that power.
1: Okay, well, there's always been this thing called ship-based nuclear.
2: Ah, and yeah, that, the Russians. Now my credibility will yeah. drop. No, even no, more. I like but it. I love the, ship-based nuclear. The
1: ocean. Is,
2: is pretty magical. But what about uh, Chad? What about Chad? I mean, it's, uh,
1: you know... You're right. Uh, we're going to have to fly that baby into Lake Chad. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, landlocked countries are always tough. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the interesting simulations we're doing nowadays, this is a, kind of a new topic, is if you build high-voltage DC grids, mm. this work needs to be done at, at even more precision and more carefully. But in in places that use a lot of energy, i.e., Europe, North America, and China, mm-hmm. if you build a high voltage DC grid, which isn't free and has all sorts of regulatory problems, but it's not, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make your cost of your energy super high. If you assume you have that that I'll call it magic uh, grid, and, and if you optimize your renewable sources to be as diverse as possible, so you're taking weather maps and basically making your wind not sit inside the correlated feature size of of wind fronts. Mm -hmm. I.e. don't build it all in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Build a lot in the Midwest. Sure. You know, build some a little more north than you would otherwise, some way down in Texas to cut the correlation. Mm -hmm. Sun, you would put more sun on the coasts than you might otherwise because you're you're going for eleven hours Mm -hmm. of sun instead of eight hours of sun. So if you diversify your sources, which like California wind, Washington wind, various things would 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 win out in that model, you can get up to eighty uh, percent, which I I was always skeptical about, mm-hmm. and doesn't seem intuitively right to me, but the the models you know are pretty clear. You can use get up to eighty percent, and so then you have this twenty percent that. Mm-hmm. Is, is unsolved. So assuming the price of wind and solar come way down, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you can extend the current learning curve on solar, that gets to be pretty good. Although mm-hmm. that's, that may not be predictive, mm-hmm. but you want to get rid of the subsidization mm-hmm. uh, piece. And then that works. It doesn't work for Africa. Right. It doesn't work for Japan, assuming they don't want to uh, take a dependency on, on China. Mm-hmm. So, Anyway, one part of this solution uh, I think will be if sovereigns are willing and able it at large geographic scale to build these kind of networks. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's cool about it that I like is you do get about 25% of the time where your peakers are turned to zero mm-hmm. and you have more energy than you need. Right. So you need a new type of customer it's called the I can use uh, intermittent energy customer mm-hmm. so you need a profile where their capital cost <laughs> is very low and their the cost of energy in their equation is very very high mm-hmm. so that they're competitive um, with plants that are getting they outcompete plants that get 24hour energy mm-hmm. and so things like uh, you know probably... S- Luminous melting doesn't work because Mm. they don't like uh, going solid. Uh, And and (laughs) although, you know, maybe somebody will create some standby heat solution Mm -hmm. or something, but Mm. it'd be interesting because then you would have two prices. You'd have the price of 24 hour energy, Mm -hmm. and then you'd have this, uh, you know, significantly lower specialized price, Mm -hmm. which with the magic grid, you could deliver to essentially any. Any parts of the geography, and mm-hmm. some people would bid: is it fertilizer, steel, aluminum, uh, making hydrogen, uh, right, right, right. you know, whatever thing you like, Powered making yes. hydrocarbons. I mean, mm-hmm. electrofuels. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, you get the price low enough, mm-hmm. uh, and you can do, and you know, who knows yeah. what kind of breakthroughs will be there? Then yeah. uh, you do electrofuels. But anyway, um, and then
2: we export those to uh, to Africa to solve it, their to, problem. It, exactly the
1: fungibility of energy, it's a very, the more fungibility you can get, it makes these problems a lot a lot easier because you still have, like, planes mm-hmm. where energy density, you know, it, it's hard to beat um, liquid hydrocarbons for yes. flying airplanes. Uh, you know, not even flow batteries uh, are are in the regime. Mm-hmm. and But it's a percentage of all energy usage. It's small enough that some biofuel slash electrofuel uh, type approach or, uh, you know, some expensive per ton free air capture thing can offset mm-hmm. that, that piece. The land use and livestock one is, is, is tricky and there's less going into that mm-hmm. than, than you might
2: like. Well, so the, the energy miracle based on this discussion that it seems like we need is, is, is on the deployment side. So we have all these options. TerraPower might be one There are the solar panels that are they're going up across the U.S., but maybe not in the rest of the world. We need more batteries out there um, so they can get the experience with the, the, the new chemistries. Um, is deployment the miracle that we're, we're looking for? No, no. no. Well, it, just do the equation of how much
1: we put into the demand side for mm-hmm. clean energy and look at Germany, Japan, U.S. and say, okay, and then look at, how much incrementally we put into the supply side. Mm. Did Germany increase their r budget when they bought some of the, the solar that's at the strangest place in the world to put solar? Not the strangest place, but one of the strangest places in yes. the world to put solar. Yes. It, it, you know, and what did, they, what did they end up with? So they're, they're, in my view, there's been an imbalance towards funding the demand side. Versus, I love all of it. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, sure. you need to do both. And that there are deployment challenges, but high wind is not a deployment challenge. If there's some fusion path, if there's mm-hmm. some solar fuels path, you know, Nate Lewis's problem is not a deployment problem. His problem mm-hmm. is a basic research, generosity, materials understanding. And and we are on the verge, you know, you put aside energy, understanding alloys on a rational basis, understanding catalysts on a rational basis. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's a few people who've gotten ahead of themselves on saying that they can simulate those things, but not right. I claim uh, not more than a decade ahead of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, when you talk about a, an energy R and D budget, it's not just a, okay. This is only useful for energy type thing. They, these, this is you know, really basic material science. That you know, why do we have to keep repairing roads and bridges? Come on, mm-hmm. let's create something that uh, to Takes away that
2: ongoing cost, or at least reduces it. Uh, but it's a great way to get rid of uh, bitumen that we that we're making at our uh, at our refineries. I True. mean, that's why we do it that way. I don't know the the equation there very well. Um, it's kind of like uh, gasoline was a waste byproduct no, for they, many years, claimed, and then they decided, they claimed, "Hey, let's put it in cars."
1: But there is this huge, and I've never audited the figures. This claim of this huge liability for the Un, that that we're not accounting for the maintenance costs we need there. Anyway, mm-hmm. I think the science will have uh, more than pay for itself by its its non
2: non energy benefits, particularly gotcha. if we're tasteful. I I have to ask you, have you uh, have you heard this term, the uh, the Anthropocene? Yeah, yeah. You think we're in it? I think
1: it's probably uh, appropriate to use that term. I mean, you know, when you look at the the biomass of livestock, you know, what, who, what's the biggest thing in the plant world? human stuff. What's the biggest thing in the animal world? Human stuff. I mean, it, it you know, how much cement have we laid? I, right. It's pretty incredible. Now, as Neil will say, there are mountains bigger than all the cement we've laid, but still, <laughs> these surface areas are very significant. It's true.
0: That's it for this episode. Check out our series of eBooks. They're available via the Scientific American website. That's www.scientificamerican.com. Where you can also find all the latest in breaking science news. And follow us on Twitter where you get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.